job today? Uh, I, I, I really could hear, <laughs> I, could <laughs> I could really hear Gilbert uh, at the end of Always, man. You sounded good. You sounded good. Uh, I know, uh, uh, and uh, Gilbert, and of course, Ken and, and Ashley, uh, uh, just, and, and all of you in the back, Josh and Stephen, uh, do such a wonderful job uh, leading our worship. We're just, we're very blessed, church. We're very blessed. Uh, and for those of you, I know she hates attention, but uh, uh, be sure and congratulate uh, Ashley uh, before you leave today. She was, uh, uh, she was named uh, Paraprofessional of the Year at her, at her school, so... Yeah, great, great, to, great to see you get uh, recognition uh, out in out in the school. I know, I know you pour your heart and your soul uh, into those kids, and that's well deserved. Uh, I'm excited for today. Uh, you know, in the 11th chapter of the New Testament book of Hebrews, we're given an account, a brief accounting of historical figures who exemplified, in one manner or another, uh, a life of faith, and so inspired. By what has been dubbed the Great Faith Chapter of the Bible, I'm introducing today what will be an ongoing series I call the Hall of Faith. Now, as an ongoing series, we'll revisit this from time to time, so you won't get a, a long stretch of these. This is, this is going to be one message today, and then we'll revisit this, uh, this again later on uh, throughout the year, uh, and we'll take a deep dive into the lives of some of the great men and women of faith in the Bible. All people whom, though they struggled, doubted, and even failed, their lives stand as lasting testimonies throughout the ages of the love and faithfulness of God. And today I want us to begin with a man from whom all of us are descended, our common ancestor, a man called Noah. In fact, if you don't get anything else I say today beyond the reading of God's Word, I want you to get this. After a catastrophic global flood, God made a covenant with Noah and humanity that was symbolized in the rainbow. God made a covenant and he symbolized that covenant with the rainbow. It's symbolized in the rainbow. Uh, you know, perhaps you've heard about Biosphere 2. Have you heard about that? Have you seen uh, anything about that in the news or... Or maybe you've seen the doc documentary Spaceship Earth about an audacious experiment to create an enclosed, self-sustaining ecosystem that could potentially be developed on another planet to sustain human life. Possibly even rescue humanity from global disaster. Well, these scientists, they were trying to build a sort of modern-day Noah's Ark out in the desert. And although that sounds like something straight out of science fiction, I assure you it is not. This is, this, is, this is true. This is true. Something else that is true is the true story of Noah and his ark. And it is so much more compelling than any work of fiction. And it was way more successful than our modern science experiments were able to produce. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says of Noah, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now Noah's story is described in Genesis chapters 6 through 9. And it's there that we need to go to better understand the man, to understand his world, and also the remarkable act of faith that he is remembered for. And so I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bible or open your Bible app to Genesis chapter 6. That's where we'll begin our study today. we have at the time this morning, or I don't know, maybe, maybe we do. I mean, the Cowboys did a really lousy job getting us through the playoffs. Soon? Too soon? Okay. <laughs> but seriously, we, 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 just, we, we don't have the time this morning to dispel all the many, many, many myths and misgivings concerning Noah, the global flood, and the ark. And there are a lot of people, and sadly, some of them, who want you to believe that they're Christian. Some of them seem to get their theology and, and biblical understanding from listening to Joe Rogan. I don't know. It's true. Uh, but there are a lot, lot of people who have renounced the Genesis account, including the story of Noah, as being nothing more than fable. But I want to encourage you, especially if you're interested in science, to visit icr.org. icr.org. You can take a picture of that slide if you want to, if you, if you, or you can jot it down, icr.org. The Institute for Creation Research is based right here in Dallas. Guys, you should make a day of it, especially uh, parents and grandparents. Make a day of it. I mean, everybody's taking their kids to Crayola or taking them to Perot or whatever, you know. But this is right here in Dallas. The, 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 uh, uh, the Creation uh, Discovery Center uh, is right here. The ICR Discovery Center is right here in Dallas. You should make a day of it. You should go over. Um, it'll grow and affirm your faith with plenty of fun, hands-on exhibits, all backed by sound scientific research. Okay? That's the ICR Center. It's right over in Royal Lane. Uh, it's a great day. Uh, it's not terribly expensive, uh, especially considering, you know, what it costs to take a kid to the Crayola experience or to Legoland or something. It's not terribly expensive. It's no, it's no more expensive than, you know, than a lot of other things that parents take their kids and do here in the Dallas Metroplex. Uh, it's a nice drive over. Uh, while you're there, not only get an entrance into the exhibit, you can watch a planetarium show. I love planetariums. I'm a, I'm a total nerd when it comes to plan. My, my, my wife knows when we, go to, uh, when we go to the Discovery Center, I'm like, planetarium! I want to go to the planetarium. <laughs> I love the planet. You know, I got to go to the planetarium. Uh, so, you know, so I encourage you to do that. You'll, you'll thank me. I, I guarantee it. Another resource, another, another uh, a great resource is uh, 
AnswersInGenesis.org. Now, these are the fine folks behind the uh, Vacation Bible School programs that we've used the past couple of years. I know some of you, like us, have, have been to the Creation Museum. You've been to the Ark Encounter. I think, Ken, you guys, your family went to the Ark Encounter. Not, not disappointing at all, is it? Uh, uh, it's phenomenal what they've done out there. A two-scale, they have built a two-scale uh, Noah's Ark right out there in the middle of Kentucky. And uh, it's awesome. And they've used uh, a lot of the same uh, tools and, uh, and building techniques uh, that would have been employed by ancient human beings. And so uh, that's, a, that's a great thing. Uh, if, you're, if you're up for a road trip, that's something that uh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, your family will enjoy. Um, I strongly recommend both organizations. I strongly recommend the resources. Uh, parents, grandparents, make use of them. Uh, they'll be great for you. And let me tell you, again, those of you who are really interested in science, uh, some of the articles in their archive are, are just phenomenal. Way over my head, some of it. Uh, Tom, I know it wouldn't be over yours, buddy, but it's way over mine. Uh, so I, I strongly recommend uh, both these resources. I spent way too much time on that, but I can't, I can't plug them enough. It would also be impossible this morning to go verse by verse and cover these four chapters, Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, that contain the account of Noah's life, the flood, the ark, and God's covenant. But I want us to begin with a few verses here in Genesis chapter 6. You should be at Genesis chapter 6. And then we'll hit some of the highlights from there, okay? So we're going to begin this morning with verse 11. But first, let's, uh, let's reverence God's word and receive it with prayer, shall we? Father God, thy word is truth. We quiet our hearts and our minds, our spirits in this moment. We make space for your word to be declared, to be read. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So today, as we read your word, as we reverence your word, I pray that it will find fertile soil in our hearts, that it will grow, that it will bear fruit. Remind us today of your faithfulness and your loving kindness. Remind us today what faith looks like so that we too could be men and women of faith who walk with God in a wicked and perverse generation. May your word do its work today. And as you declare, we know that it will not return to you void. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 6, I want to start reading just a few verses here. I'm going to start reading verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence, before, uh, violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So we can see here today what, what, what happened, what, what's happening in the world. 
and God's response to it. Now, I did the math, and I confirmed it through careful research that there are 1,056 years from the point that the Bible starts dating the years of Adam until the birth of Noah. Noah is the son of Lamech, and he is the grandson of Methuselah. Uh, but which, by the way, at 969 years old when he died, was the, has the distinction of being the oldest man who's ever lived. Now, if that sounds impossible, I want you to understand something today. The original design of human beings and of the world was eternal longevity. But you see, that was corrupted by the disobedience and sin of man. So by the time Noah is born, the world, Moses said, was quote-unquote corrupt in God's sight. Now the preceding verses here in Genesis chapter 6 record the, the, the degeneration of human culture. What we see here in Genesis chapter 6 is the takeover of culture by Satan. And he does it, guess how? Marriage. He does it by marriage. By redefining the marriage relationship, literally hijacking it, evil begins to multiply faster than the population. Violence becomes idolized. It says right here that violence was violence uh, filled the earth. Now you might be sitting here this morning thinking, "Oh, this sounds a bit too familiar." Well, guess what? You're right. You're right. And so I should mention that Jesus said this: "For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man." The signs of the times, church, points to His return being very soon. And listen, God is grieved here in Genesis chapter 6 by the utter depravity of the human race. And so God further limits the lifespan of man. But to slow down this degeneration, a divine reset is necessary. It's not the cure. Not by a long shot. That won't come for another 2,300 years or so with the birth of Christ. But God does make the decision here in Genesis chapter 6 to destroy the earth and mankind with it. You say, well, that seems extreme. Well, let me tell you something. With that kind of degeneration and that kind of depravity, I don't think so. In fact, it's only because of the mercies of God that this world today is not consumed by his wrath. It is only because of the mercies of God through Christ that this world is not destroyed by wrath. God makes the decision here in Genesis chapter 6 because of the utter depravity of the, of the human race. Again, it's not the cure, but perhaps it will slow things down a little bit. Noah, however, is distinguished from the people of his time. Moses, who is the writer of Genesis, uh, this book of beginnings, says back in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And we find out why in the following verse, verse 9, which simply adds, Noah, look at this, verse 9, Noah, or Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, Noah 
walked with God. Noah is a man full of faith in a world full of evil. Noah is a man full of faith in a world full of evil. And guess what? God tested Noah's faith through catastrophe. God tested Noah's faith through catastrophe. If you can look back into Noah's genealogy, and you can, I encourage you to do that. In fact, I encourage you to jot down Genesis uh, chapter uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. It wouldn't take you very long to, to read that today, this week. I encourage you to sit down and just get, just read the whole, the whole story. Uh, I'm just giving you highlights today, okay? No way we could do this verse by, verse by verse in, in an hour, okay? Uh, but I, write that down, Genesis 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And, go, and just go read. Just go read. If you look back in, in Noah's genealogy, you're going to see that his godly character, it has been nurtured. You say, Pastor Mike, why, why, why invest so much in our kids? Why, why do, these, do these things? I mean, this is part of our flocks initiative. This is part of our more, uh, more 24, what we're doing for our kids, trying to do everything we can to help you disciple your children and your grandchildren. Why? Because it's that important. It is that important. And Noah, Noah is the product of parents and grandparents who nurtured his faith. And they were, listen, and they did it in a perverse world without the assistance of church. They did it. They did it. They, they handed down to him his faith. And he took it and he made it his own. you got to make it your own. He comes from people who walked with God. In fact, his great-grandfather, Enoch, walked with God, so much so that Enoch never died. God took him. He's the other guy in Noah's genealogy whom the Bible says walked with God. This has been handed down. This has been nurtured in his life. These people taught their children to walk with God at a time when the world was becoming increasingly antagonistic and corrupt. And Noah walked with God. If you're going to walk with God in a world filled with increasing evil, guess what? Your faith is going to be put to the test. Your faith is going to be put to the test. And when it does, you had better be ready. Because these tests, they tend not to get announced out. Hannah will call us sometimes and they'll say, she'll say, Professor So and Professor Led, Dr. Ledbetter announced the test. Sometimes they give them a syllabus at the beginning of the, of the semester and they know exactly when those tests are going to happen. Well, we don't have the benefit of a syllabus that tells us the date and time that we're going to be tested. The professor doesn't stand up in class and say, when you show up for class on Wednesday, we're going to have a quiz. So when the testing comes, and it's going to come, you better be ready. Noah certainly seems to be. And so it's in this context that God speaks to Noah. Look again at verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. 
Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, we don't know exactly how God communicated this to Noah. Through a dream? I don't know. Did he take him to lunch? I'm not sure. No one can really know. God communicated this to him. We don't know. We don't know how. And frankly, it doesn't matter. But what does matter is how Noah responds. Genesis chapter 6.22 says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. It doesn't matter how God spoke to him. All that matters is how Noah responds. And he did all that God commanded him to do. By the way, that's the right response. That's the right response. It is always the right response to do what God's word tells us to do. It's always the right response. I want you to understand, though, this morning that Noah and his family, I mean, Noah is a wretch, just like the rest of us. He isn't saved by his righteousness. He and his family, they are saved by grace. But still, he has to accept that grace church he has to respond to that grace and he has to respond to what God is doing around him and to do so out of a position of having received that grace I say to you today if you are going to walk under the grace of what it means to be a Christian you better do it right You better do it the way you're supposed to do it. Because we, listen, we are held accountable to walk according to the grace that we have received. And this is where people, a lot of people, Christian people, flounder. How you respond to what God is doing in the world around you will often determine your survivability. I'm going to say that again because it's just that important. How you respond to what God is doing in the world around you will often determine your survivability. It matters. It matters how we respond. And you know, sometimes Christians, Christians do not respond well to the things that are going on in the world around us. We oftentimes speak before we think. We act as though that the grace of God has somehow made us better than other people. We use social media like a bully pulpit. How you respond So what God is doing in the world around you will often determine your survivability. You are daily given the choice to walk with God or to run with the world. God has spoken right here in the pages of this sacred book. Whether you read it or not, it changes nothing. Whether you believe it or not, it changes nothing. Understand me today. 
You can obey God's word or you can conform to the patterns of this prodigal world. It really is that simple. It's not complicated. It is that simple. Noah chose to obey God. I don't have to tell you this morning, these past few years have tested the faith of many. Global pandemic, political uh, incivility, cancel culture. A lot of people who were comfortably marginal in their Christianity, who were playing church before 2020, failed the testing of their faith. I'm not gloating. I'm sad. I'm brokenhearted. Some of those people were my friends. But they were sifted and they were found wanting. by the stuff that was going on in the world around all of us. We've all experienced this trauma. And while others drew near to God and experienced the deepening of their faith, others just drifted away. And if that don't break your heart, you better check your pulse. Although we know nothing about uh, Noah's vocational skills before the flood, the Bible doesn't really tell us what he did before the flood. Again, I don't know that it matters, but I'm willing to wager this morning that building a three-story ark 85 feet wide, 51 feet tall, and twice the length of a Boeing 747 was not in his wheelhouse. It amazes me when I, when I go and I ask somebody, hey, would you be willing to do this? Would you be willing to do that? They'll say to me, I don't know, that's, that's not really my wheelhouse. <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know if, I'm, if I'd be good in that area or not. Can you imagine? Noah's like, Noah's like God, I'm a, I'm a farmer, I'm not a builder, I'm not an architect, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a boat builder, you know. Again, we don't know what he, what he did before the flood, but I guarantee, I guarantee ark building was not in his wheelhouse. But guess what? For the next several decades, that is exactly what he and his family are going to do. Why? Because God commanded it. Because God, guess what? Because God said so. I want to I say to you this morning, that's a valid reason. When your kids say, why? Why should I do that? Because I said so. That is a valid reason. And I know there's a, there's a whole, whole culture out here. That, oh, no, you gotta, you got to ask their permission to change their diaper. And, and because, I said, because God said so for the next several decades... Noah and his are going to be ark builders. It's also important to understand that in this world that Noah lives in, it had never rained, ever. I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been like for God to explain to a man who's never seen a drop of rain that rain is coming. It's like this, no, you know, like, like water's going to fall out of the sky. What? 
Water doesn't come from the sky. Water comes up from the ground. But no, no, listen to me, buddy. Here in a little while, water is going to start falling from the sky. Oh, and it's going to come up from the ground. It had never rained, ever. There had never been a flood on the earth. The ecology of the pre-flood world was entirely different. And so Noah, Noah has to overcome his own limitations and presuppositions. Sometimes God calls you to things that don't make sense. He warns you about things that don't make sense. And so you have to overcome your limitations and presuppositions. When God called me to preach, I was, listen, I was an introvert with a foul mouth. And God is saying to me, I want you to get up and I want you to proclaim the gospel in front of people. And in 33 years of preaching the gospel, I've, I've preached to congregations of two. I've preached to congregations of 2,800. It's scary. And I've had to overcome my own limitations and presuppositions to do it. God will call you to things that are hard. In fact, I'm going to guarantee you today that God is going to call you to things that are hard in your life. I, that's a promise. And by the way, chances are, if, if you feel called to something that seems bigger than you, harder than you can handle, there's a good chance that that's God calling. If it's easy, listen, if, if, if God said to me, hey Mike, I want you to just go hang out on a beach in Roatan, I'd be like, that's easy. But then I'd have to say, I don't know if that's God. Because God calls us to things that are hard. Once again, I invoke the timeless words of my utmost for his highest author, the Scottish-born missionary Oswald Chambers, who writes, quote, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading, end quote. And when it came time for the testing of Noah's faith, even when it might have seemed ridiculous, guess what? Noah obeyed God because Noah loved God. Go with me, beginning of, uh, in, in verse Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. That's just right near where we just read. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. We're told that the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. Verse 3, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. One of the myths is that God called the animals two by two. As you can see, that's not what God's word says. We don't have time to get into it, to go down in the weeds. But I, w I just wanted you to see that. I also want you to see that the ark, besides being a marvel of ancient engineering, it is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. 
And again, I don't have time today to tell you, to show you all the wonderful ways Christ is pictured in the ark, in the construction of the ark. We don't have time for that. I wish we did, but we'd be here for hours. But I want you to understand that after God fills the ark, it is God who shuts them into the ark. And it's not long before the waters begin to rise. And church, it is catastrophic. I mentioned the pre-flood ecology. Under the surface of the ground, we're told that there is a firmament. There is present in the pre-flood ecology a firmament, a pocket of water, if you will, under the surface of the earth. And that's how all of plant life receives their water, their nourishment. No rain, just this firmament that feeds the earth. And so the earth is lush and it's green and it's fed by this, by this amazing firmament. But in an instant, it violently erupts from the ground, destroying and dividing entire continents. It is more catastrophic than an atomic bomb. Catastrophe, calamity, and utter cataclysm worldwide. To be outside the ark means total destruction. Complete devastation. While inside the ark is total salvation. A picture of Christ. One of these days... Christ is going to return. And those who are outside of Christ are going to experience devastation. They are going to experience catastrophe and it will be total destruction. But those who are in Christ will experience total salvation. People say to me all the time, you know, I just I just don't know if I'm if I'm if I'm ready. I wonder. I wonder when that day comes. How many will wish? How many will wish? That they got over themselves. And surrendered their hearts to Christ. I want you to understand today that this total catastrophe, it did not come without warning. It did not come without notice. The apostle known as Peter says of Noah in his second letter, if he, talking about God, did not spare the ancient world, preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon uh, the world of the ungodly, Peter goes on to say in verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Notice here that Peter says Noah was a herald. That word there means preacher of righteousness. In addition to Noah's proclamations to the unbelieving world of his day was his preaching without words. And Sometimes, church, I think those are the most important sermons we preach. 
in the very construction of the ark, Noah was bearing witness to righteousness. Every hammer blow, every pounding of a peg was a call to repentance and a declaration that judgment was coming. I remember when I was a teenage boy running away, not, not wanting to, I was too, too cool for Sunday school. But every Sunday morning, Ken, they would ring that stinking church bell. Let me tell you something, when you are lost, there is nothing more annoying than a church bell. Ding, 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 ding. Sometimes I'd literally, I'd just roll over and put my pillow over my head, like, make it stop. Every pounding of the peg. Every day, Noah is out there with his family, and they are building that ark, and they are proclaiming to the world that judgment is coming, and every pounding of the peg brings conviction on a world that is outside of grace. And Noah's faith was tested. And when the rain came and the flood waters rose, Noah did all the Lord commanded him and was saved. God also rewarded Noah's faith through covenant. God rewarded Noah's faith through covenant. I'm running out of time, so I have to be quick. Noah's story is not just about floods or an ark or rainbows. It's also about God making a covenant with people. God tells Noah in Genesis 6.18 that his intention is to make a covenant with Noah. Now, this covenant came entirely at God's initiative. It's a covenant that demonstrates God's concern and compassion as well as his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. We call it the Noahic covenant, but it is in fact God's covenant not only with humanity, but with the whole earth. God says beginning Genesis chapter 9 verse 13, I've got a slide for you. He says, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. I want you to notice the sign of, ever of everlasting covenant is the rainbow. The rainbow is not a symbol of pride. No. It is a symbol of promise. Not primarily for humanity, but understand this, it is for God himself to see and to quote-unquote remember. The covenant that he's made with the whole earth, he remembers. Anytime you see that God remembers, I want you to understand something. This is covenant language. This is the language of covenant. It doesn't mean that God's forgotten, but rather that he is moved by his righteous covenant fidelity. There's another time in this account in which God remembers. 
for seven days they're in the belly of the ark waiting for flood. For 40 days, utter catastrophe and devastation. 150 days of water triumphing on the earth. On the other side of a wall of wood, every living thing on the planet has been, as Genesis 7.23 says, blotted out from the earth. It is the darkest moment. The inevitable end for a corrupt humanity. And then Genesis 8.1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. You see, church, when God remembers, God acts. When God remembers, God acts. Noah, his family, and every creature in the ark are spared because of God's ceaseless, never-failing, always faithful, consistent, persistent, unrelenting, everlasting love and His covenant promise. That's who God is. And God has never changed. He's never changed. And Noah, by virtue of his faith, is evidenced by every board he cut and every peg he hit. He knows that God is worthy of his trust and of his obedience. He witnessed the degradation and decay of his culture. He saw the worst of humanity. I love when people give me that as an excuse for not believing in God. The world is so corrupt. I want you to understand something. Noah saw a corrupt world but he also opened his eyes to see an incorruptible God. It's faith. It's faith. He saw the worst of humanity. He was present as the earth is literally ripped apart. You talk about climate change. The entire ecology of the planet was altered in a matter of days, followed, by the way, by an ice age. Everything and everybody that Noah knew, that Noah's family knew, is gone. Save the remnant preserved in the ark. But Noah saw God as trustworthy and faithful. He believed God and he acted with reverent fear even though he had no point of reference to understand what God was doing. Still he trusted. And in his trust he received God's covenant. Covenant that required no human response. Just God binding himself to his own sure mercies. A covenant that he remembers every single time the rain falls from the heavens, leaving behind a rainbow stretched across the sky. We need the kind of faith that Noah had. Faith that isn't swayed by bias or discouraged by questions. It isn't influenced by politics or human philosophies. It isn't seduced by trends. It isn't intimidated by a hostile majority. Noah's was a trusting faith. It was a responsive faith. It was an obedient faith. It was a working faith. Noah's faith endured through quite literally hell and high water. Because through it all, he simply trusted God and he trusted God's word. So what do we learn today? Hmm? And how can we apply it to be men and women 
of faith. We can trust God and be obedient to him through every situation and every circumstance. Finally today, I want to tell you uh, about a game I used to play back in my days as a, as a youth pastor. Back in my youth pastor days, I used to do this game with my kids called Persuasion. I'd give detailed instructions for a task, and as the student began to perform the task, everyone would be shouting and pointing. They'd be, they'd be doing anything that they could do to distract and deter that student from completing the task. Trying to get him to deviate from the instructions that I'd given. Now at the end of the game, as the task is completed, and the end result is as intended, the student would get a prize. But all too often, what ended up happening is that the end result did not end up the way it was intended. It might be something like, uh, uh, you know, I want you to put one quarter in one cup, two quarters in another cup, three quarters, and so on and so forth. And at the end of the game, I'd have, I'd have just like random numbers of quarters and cups, you know? Why? Because of all these people standing around yelling, shouting, pointing, doing every, everything they can to deter them from completing the task correctly. The distractions and the pressures from the group proved to be persuasive enough that things didn't turn out as prescribed. It's kind of like life. There are a multitude of voices around us in life, in here, out there, at home, at school, at work, in your friend circles, YouTube, because we know everything on YouTube is accurate, right? Drives me nuts when somebody contradicts me and says, well, I saw on YouTube. Somebody tried to argue with me recently about the Council of Nicaea. They said, well, Joe Rogan said, well, Joe Rogan is not a theologian. Nor is he a church historian. He is an entertainer. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. But around you are all these voices. Social media. Everyone's an expert these days. Claiming that they know what's best for you. All of them barking and pointing waving their arms and shouting statistics at you. You should know this. You should do that. It's getting harder and harder to navigate day-to-day -day life. Very much the same as it was in the days of Noah. But Genesis 7-5 says, And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. In fact, three times in his story, we read that Noah obediently did what God told him to do. I leave you with this thought. Faith is not the persuasion 
of the mind and heart. It is not merely a state of the mind. It is not merely a belief of the heart. Faith is the mind and heart persuaded by God. And it leads us to trust without reservation and follow the Lord without, without condition because God has without fail demonstrated His righteous intentions toward us. That's faith. How about it today? As we stand to our feet this morning, the worship team's going to come. How about it today? God loves you. And He has without fail demonstrated His righteous intentions towards you. Do you trust Him today? Do you trust Him enough to be obedient to what He says? Do you trust Him with your day-to-day decisions? Do you trust Him to the point that your home life, your work life, your school life, all of your life is lived in obedience to Him? Do you? Do you trust Him? Do you have the kind of faith to get up every single morning and go out and just be the person God has called you to be, to do the things that God has called you to do without reservation, without fail. That's faith. That's the kind of faith that Noah had. Noah teaches us what it means to trust God. It's just getting up every single day and walking with God and obeying God. And Noah's reward is our reward. The covenant. The promise. The promise that when we are faithful to God, He is faithful to us. That our labors are not in vain in the Lord. Church, what's coming? Judgment is coming for this world. Judgment has come for this world. I believe that right now we are living in a world that is being judged. And in that world, your faith and my faith are going to be put to the test. Will you pass? Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. I pray today, Lord, that your word has done its powerful work and that it will continue to do its powerful work as we search our hearts. As we search our hearts to discern our obedience to you. I pray that you would give us the grace and the courage to be the kind of people Noah was. A man, a woman, a child of faith. Real faith.
Jesus' name.
place to be. I, I, I'm excited to hear the feedback from the kids about the uh, uh, new tools. I'm excited to hear some feedback. Dorinda said some adults were snapping up uh, boards too, so I, I don't know. Just All I ask is just make sure all the kids get a board, okay? Uh, <laughs> so I'm excited for the feedback on that. Don't forget if you're interested in your, if your child's interested in being part of the Easter program, see Dorinda before you leave today. Let her know. Uh, and now church, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, may you abound in hope. Go, scatter darkness, break chains of despair, move some mountains, be the church, make it a great week.